Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Together, isn't it? It's good to know that God's on the move and that He wants to do something amongst us and uh, excited for the new series um, called, you like the graphic? Good, isn't it? Isn't it good? Um, thanks to Nat, um, following Jesus in all of life, which is the tagline or, or the, the definition that we have um, given for discipleship. We did this sort of little process about asking even our staff and all, what is discipleship? What is it? And, and it was interesting how everybody actually thinks discipleship's a different thing. Or, and none of the things that they said were wrong. But uh, we thought, let's try and land this and teach about what discipleship truly is. And so Dave and I are going to tag team a little bit in this um, and uh, teach you as to what is defined as in the statement in the screen, how to follow in your job, how to follow as a parent, how to follow Jesus as a son or a daughter, how to, in the place where you live, we're going to look at uh, your prayer life and around habits, prayer habits and intercession, deliverance, stuff like that. And probably what we're going to do is look at the four big, these four big questions, um, basically around what does it mean to follow Jesus in all of life, obviously, but why would I do that? Why would I do it? Who is this person? Who is the man that I'm um, called to follow? And what is the mission? All right, and God is always up to more than what we know. You know that, don't you? That God is always in, in every event of our life, in the life of our church, in the life of our city, in our towns, and our country, and even in the world. God is doing millions of things that we have no idea about. And He's doing more in these days, I think, uh, uh, for the sake of the nations and and the Great Commission, I love the five big statements in the Great Commission, rather than put the whole verse up, these five big things that um, the Great Commission reminds us that um, all authority is mine. This is Jesus speaking just before he goes back to heaven. Now, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and by the way, I will be with you always, he says, right even to the ends of the earth. And so as we closed out the unveiled faces theme in December, which seems like a lifetime away. Is it just me or anybody else think there was about 95 days in January? Uh, unbelievable long month, wasn't it? And it was that month, you know, where you get paid early for Christmas, you know that. And then when the, you know, when the money's done, there's a whole lot of months left. Um, and uh, so sort of one of those months, but um, I hardly believe we're into February as well. But um, as we closed off the unveiled faces theme in mid-December, you will maybe remember that um, the last couple of weeks of that, I tried to um, bring you around what the glory of God really looks like in present day. And we had based that journey uh, for several weeks around the story of Moses. And we probably finished with three big points. This was them. The, the first point was that we only see in part. And when Paul writes to the New Testament church in Corinth, he says this in 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. I love this little bit here. Uh, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully 
known. So it's this idea that even, he says, then I shall know fully. Future. He says, then I in the future shall know fully, just the same way I am fully known now, present. Beautiful, isn't it? And so it's a, it's a powerful phrase. So there's something about understanding that we only get a part of this now. It's like comparing a spoonful of water, I'd suggested to you, to the great Atlantic Ocean. And our spoon-sized knowledge of God um, understands that the, this infinite being, the eternal God, there's so much more. And our vision at this moment in time is limited um, to what we know. And then I suggested to you that while we only see in part God wants us to know Him so much more. And this is glorious news. I love this. We're invited into this. When we come to intercessory prayer, I'm going to talk to you about this, about the whole idea of being invited into something. And, the, and actually, the playful way, can I say, that God does this, where He invites you in. And we looked at Moses' prayer, Moses who had spent loads of time with God up on the mountain at one stage, 40 whole days, actually, the people down on the ground thought he had died or got eaten by a lion or a bear or something. I don't know what they thought, but they, 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 they thought he wasn't coming back. And remember, they, they made the golden calf. This man, who had spent so much time with God, makes this, this powerful plea when he says, God, show me your glory. Uh, this knowledge that, that had given him a desire to know so much more. And it's a bit like this in in the practical term, in, in earthly things, so you meet somebody, you know, boy meets girl, and they like each other, and then they, they do a second date. They think, we'll meet up again. And then and what happens is that the desire grows to know each other, and then comes that great day where the boy pops the question, or the girl, if it's Valentine's. Um, no, not Valentine's. Leap year, sorry. Um, uh, my head was going somewhere. But uh, so, so it's, it's this, this whole, whole idea of desire increasing. And so the desire in Moses, every, every time he got a piece more of God, he just wanted more. And there was, just seemed to be never enough. And there's reason to believe that such a prayer would have its reward. God delights in revealing himself. Actually, I believe even further that God designs things around us to create us uh, for a desire where he actually gets to reveal himself in that. And of course, the writer to the Hebrews actually says this, that without faith it's impossible to please God, because anybody who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that, and, and that here it is, he rewards those who earnestly or who diligently, your authorized will say, seek him. All right? So God has designed things to reveal himself. He did this to Moses, um, at a more intimate level, so he might be better known among men. So let me encourage you, if you have a desire deep within you to know more of God, do not despair. I believe that reward will be um, honored and uh, with a deeper revelation of himself. And then the third little thing that we talked about in mid-December was that more of God will always transform you. And we looked at this in the life of Moses. We looked at how Moses' life would never be the same again, and nor will yours as you begin to experience God. And we saw how, how Moses's, um, his worship was transformed. It talks about, this is him going up the mountain for the second time to get the, the tablets of stone written by God. And, and Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. I love, actually, I think it's um, on a chapter in 34. Chapter 34, it talks about, um, that, that's the place where 
Moses, or where God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and then passes by and then sort of calls on Moses to peep out. And it says that Moses saw his hinder part, saw Jesus, or saw God as he, Yahweh as he passed by. And uh, this is what it says when, it, when that happened. It says, he threw himself to the ground and worshiped. Verse 8, chapter 34. Very powerful imagery, how our worship gets transformed. And then we looked about with Moses how our walk gets transformed. So Moses came down the mountain. His face was glowing with this glow of eternal beauty of spending time with God. And the it was so radiant that they were afraid actually to come near him because his walk was transformed. Um, and so uh, this life-changing moment began to show in his face. And so as we walk into the into, uh, relationship with God, our walk gets challenged, our walk changes, our talk should change, our speech should change, our hands should change, our voice should change, everything should change as we walk around this. And then we look lastly how our work was transformed, how Moses was challenged about who he would work with, who he would um, pledge his allegiance to, and who he would come alongside, and so it is with us. And so we need to understand that we need to have that deeper desire for God. And we finished off that series by asking this big question, how do we see the glory of God. And we looked at the prayer of Jesus in John 17, where it says, uh, um, Father, I love this, 11 mentions of the Godhead in this one verse. Incredible. 11, you can check me out. Father, I want you, uh, I, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Amazing, isn't it? Uh, and what we suggested about that was that what, uh, what Moses was willing to die for, we get for free. Hmm. Moses was actually willing to die for this, knowing that you couldn't see God and live. He wanted to see him anyway. And so here we are, the epitome of love and self-sacrifice and self-emptying is a crucified Jewish man on a cross. It is the love and the glory of God. That's what love looks like. That's what glory looks like. And, and here we are, we, Jesus, in this act, this most powerful act in history, and obviously the most loving act in history, when the curtain of the temple is ripped in two, you remember we talked about in the old temple, it was 30 feet. In the new temple, it was 60, it was 40 cubits, which was 60 feet high by the breadth of a man's hand, whatever four to five inches are in the round. This, this curtain that they probably reckon it took 300 priests to hang. This, this curtain was rent not from the bottom to the top where it could have been human intervention, but it was ripped actually from the top to the bottom. And, and, and the glory of God was allowed out. Not only are we allowed into the Holy of Holies, but the glory of God was allowed out. And so we, we come to realize that God is, is doing for us what Israel wasn't able to do and what we can't do for ourselves. We can't keep this covenant on our own, but He will keep it. And He will provide a way for us through His blood, which we remembered this morning at our communion points this morning. Just remember this, that, that he becomes the substitute. And as the king and as the Messiah, he let evil do the worst in him. And, and he overcome it with his love. And it released the glory of God all over us. Beautiful. And this is the thing that will transform the world. Swallow up evil. 
It's Jesus. And each revelation of God's glory changes something, I believe, for a generation. So under the new covenant, the glory of God is Jesus. Now, um, so what does it mean to follow Jesus in all of life? That's the little meander back in the December done, all right? Two things that I want to talk to you about this morning that I think are really important. I want to talk to you about the person, um, which is really important because Jesus is the person, and we know that. We know that the person of Jesus is so important, but what happens is in 21st century, we come to our centrally heated buildings in um, Western civilization, we sit in the comfort, I hope you're warm enough, and we sit in the comfort of our church, and we listen to uh, songs sang about Jesus, we listen to a preacher preach about Jesus, and then we go home, and we think that's the Christian life. Some people do that. I don't think there's many do that here, but I think in general, that's what happens, which is, which is lovely, but there's more. You see, there's a person, but there's also a path. And I think we don't talk about this. You see, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he's saying this, to know this person and to make this person number one in your life, there will be a path, there will be a journey, there will be a road that you'll have to take, it'll be a road of surrender, it'll be a road of sacrifice. And so very often we don't talk about this, we don't, we don't want to offend people, we don't want to tell them that there's a cost to doing this, that it will cost you, it will cost you everything. And so what I want to do this morning, um, I want to talk to you about the cost of discipleship, and I want to do it through a passage that's on the screen. Don't be panicking about so much text on the screen. I wanted it all on one slide. It's going to be up for a while, and we're going to walk our way through it a little bit. I'm going to introduce you to three people who were would-be followers of Jesus. All right, these three sort of followers or would-be disciples of Jesus, and I want you to see how he acted in three different ways to three different people, which is interesting. Let's read it. Luke 9, you can look it up in your own Bible. I'm reading it in the NIV here or on your app if you want to follow in your own version. It says, and then they, they went on to another village, and as they were going along the road, someone said to him, this is to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But this person said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. <clears throat> but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting this, all right? Being a disciple of Jesus is more about learning about him, as we've said. It's about following him, and, and this is really important. So he has something very hard and very powerful to say to all of these three people. To the verse, the, the, the first, which is verse 57, he says, this guy who, who says, I'll follow you wherever you'll go. He says, well, the birds of the air of nests and foxes of holes, the son of man, nowhere to lay his head. Interesting. 59, the boy that says, um, he says to follow me, he responds, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. Jesus says, well, let the dead bury there. Sounds a bit hard, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit cruel. And then the third candidate for discipleship, which is verse 61, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to go and say goodbye. And to this person, he responds very harshly. He says, he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back, um, 
isn't fit for the kingdom of God. That's pretty harsh. So it's pretty powerful stuff, this, all right? And um, there's more than one thing going on here. <laughs> there's no prototype. He doesn't have a little prototype of discipleship that, that sort of is same size fits all. He's talking to three different people here with three, three different statements that I think is really important. Now, um, as I say, there's more than one thing going on here. And to look at it and to find out what is going on, the best thing to do is maybe go back a few verses. And if you go back, don't worry, that's going, that verse is going to be up again because we're going to dissect it a little bit. But in this verse, uh, verse 51, it says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, this is Jesus, he was determined, he set his face, if you're using the authorized, it will say he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. So, um, he, he, and those of us who know the story, I'm sure most of us in the room do, we know what Jerusalem meant for Jesus. Here's what Jesus said about Jerusalem. He said this himself in Luke 18. See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. That's pretty strong language. And then actually, if you go to the next chapter, in verse chapter 19, it says, when he was drawing near to the city... So it's all about the city at the moment, all right? When he's coming near the city, he wept over it. He actually wept over these people. He said, if you'd known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but they've been hidden from your eyes. So we're ready to see that more than one thing is going on here, right? When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying loads of things here, all right? There's me, there's my mission, there's the person, there's the path, there's sweetness, there's suffering, there's Jesus, there's Jerusalem. All of this stuff is in this passage. And, and, and this path, I, I, and during worship in the first service, I felt God really speak this to me prophetically over our church. And I haven't, I've sort of been pondering this ever since, but um, the path to the nations was through a city. That's interesting, Dave, isn't it? The path to the nations was through Jerusalem. He had to go to Jerusalem to reach the world. So the path to the nations was through a city. I sort of wondered this morning, our, our vision is to rewrite the story of the city and, and Ireland and the nations of the world, but the pathway is through the city. And until we take the city we can't take the nations. And this was the story. This just, just what I felt God speaking to me this morning. I need to tease this out a bit, all right? Now, um, what was Jesus doing in responding to these three would-be followers? No place to lay your head. Let the dead bury the dead. And don't put your hand to the plow and look back. What was he doing? Well, he was doing two things that Jesus loved to do. He was teaching and he was testing. Jesus did this a lot in his ministry. He taught and so he was teaching that the Calvary road through Jerusalem will be a very hard road and will require sacrifices of home and family. That's what he was saying. And he was testing. He was testing to see if he himself was the greatest treasure of their lives. This is why he said, when these people said, I'll follow you, Jesus was saying, really? You really follow me, will you? Well, do you know much that's going to cost you? you know, a treasure that you might have to give up to do that. So Jesus was doing what I call the treasure test to see if he is enough 
to see if he really is your treasure, to see if he really is your joy and your security and your hope and your friend in times of loneliness, your home, your father, your mother, your power to look straight ahead, to test you in all these ways, to tell you what it will cost. Now, please don't misunderstand these words. He's not saying that you're going to have to do without a home and you never have a good bed and a nice fluffy pillow. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying it would be wrong to go to your mom or dad's funeral. That's not what he's saying, all right? Because let, let, me, let me tease this a little bit because this is really important. When Jesus, it was never one size fits all in the ministry of Jesus. That's why he had to test people. And there was a reason for that. So, so when, he, when he come across the rich young ruler, he said this, go sell all that you possess. Go sell all that you possess. So you think, well, that's what you need to do then. To be a good follower of Jesus, you need to sell everything you have. Well, actually, when he came to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus said, here and now I give half of my possessions. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. So how come he wanted all from one and half from another? <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Interesting that he wanted everything from one person and half was enough from another. Well, here's the reason why, I think. All right? Jesus knows our idols. Jesus knows our idols. And so all of these three people in our story, as we're going to look at them in a moment, were all completely different. They were all, all different. They were all, um, these were tough words, and Jesus interacts to different people. And he doesn't create laws um, that all disciples have to keep. So he doesn't say, um, thou shalt give all your money away. He doesn't say, you shall give half your money away. He doesn't say you shall never have a bed or you shall not go to your parents' funeral. That's not what he's doing here, all right? The point is that Jesus knows everybody's idol and he knows perfectly, hear me in this, he knows perfectly what's competing in your heart right now for him. He knows perfectly what's competing in your heart for him and every one of us have it. Every one of us have it, the little competition for number one in our lives. There's always one or two things that are always competing for Jesus' place in our lives. And Jesus knows this. He knows this thing. Now, to hear me in this, don't take offense in this, all right? He, he's looking to win you for himself. And so when he says, follow me, being with Jesus is the goal. That's the thing that do. It's, 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 it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be good. All right? And, and he does this to win him for himself because he wants us to trust him with everything. Now, I've told you some, I've told a little bit about my story. I got saved when I was really young. And the, the man who led me to the Lord was a little brother and preacher called Stevie Livingston. Years and years at home with the Lord now. But he was an angel, the guy. Honestly, I loved him with all my heart. And he led me to Jesus on a Friday afternoon. I was just a boy of six at the time. Must be 20 years ago now. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, he, uh, it was incredible. And then when I was 11, 12, he said to me, Phil, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you with me and we're going to preach. And I'm going to teach you how to preach. And we would go. And he had a little Vauxhall Viva car. So those of you who are my age will know what that is. And, and we used to go to all these little brethren assemblies and, and, and that were maybe eight. And, and so my first 10 years of preaching were to six and seven and eight people and we used to go, and, and like when, this, this, is, this is how far we went. 
One of the places we used to go at least once a year was a little gospel hall in Skibbereen. Now, for those of you who don't know where Skibbereen is, Skibbereen, if you pass Skibbereen, you fall into the sea, south. And now it'd probably take you about five hours to go to Skibbereen. Then, in a Vauxhall Viva, it took you three weeks. It was like, um, and we used to drive all these places. And, and so when I was 15, 16, I grew up around industry and cars and lorries and vehicles. So I've been driving from us knee high. And this is, I'm confessing now, you wouldn't get away with this now. But Stevie, Stevie would, on the way home, he would have said to me, he always called me Philip. He said, Philip, I'm tired and I'm going to get into the passenger seat and shut my eyes, and you're going to drive. I was, this was like heaven, 16-year-old boy, Vauxhall Viva, racy, and, um, and I was getting driving, and so I was delighted with this. Don't tell my mom or dad this, but, uh, and, and I'd say you wouldn't get away with this now, but it is a long time ago. And so I would drive, and Stevie would get into the passenger seat, and he would close his eyes. And then a little bit up the road, he would go, Philip? And I go, yes, Stevie. He said, uh, could you drive a bit faster? We need to get home tonight. <laughs> and uh, I go, okay, Stevie, okay. So I'd speed up a little bit, and then we'd go up the road another little bit, and he'd go, after 10 minutes, he'd go, Philip? And I go, yes, Stevie. He said, could you slow down, please? <laughs> We'd like to get home tonight. <laughs> and um, this would go on. This would go on. And um, Philip? <laughs> That light was orange, you know. This, and, and I used to think, I never said it down because I loved him too much, but I, I, I used to think, I thought you were supposed to be sleeping. I thought you said you would sit in the passenger seat and shut your eyes. Here's the thing, here's the thing. He had willed me to drive, but in his own heart he was still driving. Now, if you get this really quick, I won't have to preach as long. <laughs> Some of us in the room have willed ourselves to a person, but we haven't given our heart to the path. We've willed ourselves to, to surrender all, but we actually still do it our own way. And for you in this room this morning, what God is saying, I, I, thought, I thought you'd shut your eyes. <laughs> I thought you'd trusted your family to me. I thought you'd trusted that. I thought you'd trusted this next phase of the journey to me. I thought you'd close your eyes. I thought you'd trusted that relationship to me. I thought you'd close your eyes. I thought you were allowing me to drive. But for many of us in the room, we've willed it with our mind, but we haven't really sealed it with our heart. And we would say we haven't put our money where our mouth is, really. And so what, is, what, what happens is we, we, we follow the person, but we miss the path. Now, let me, let me go to these three guys really, really quickly, all right? Um, I've highlighted it in red, the response to each three. Really, really quickly. The first issue, he's dealing with a person who really loves their home. Now, there's nothing wrong with loving your home, all right? But obviously, Jesus knows the idol in this man's heart. What about your home? What about your furniture? What about your, the security you enjoy there? What about the, the comfort you enjoy with your sort of central heated, um, sort of all the year round 
um, same atmosphere type of thing home where we get our mouse free, home, ant free, I hope, um, surround sound, TV, all, nothing wrong with all of those things, by the way. But what if Jesus were to say, follow me? And you were saying, well, I don't really want to go to Alpha on Thursday night because I want to watch a box set or I enjoy my home too much. I'm just, this is just, I'm just playing with this a little bit. Not saying there's anything wrong with your home or with having a nice home. Nothing wrong with that at all. But the context of where it comes in the priority list of where you love Jesus is really important. And that's what, that's what I think Jesus is trying to address in these verses. To the boy who, uh, the second guy, who he says to this, let the dead bury their dead. It sounds a bit of a, uh, uh, sounds a bit hard, doesn't it? But maybe he's raising the question about our family. Maybe he's saying, <laughs> you know, when, when Jesus is first in your life, Every other alliance is secondary. So our spouses need to understand that. <laughs> they do. Our kids really need to understand that. That that when Christ is first in life, that doesn't mean we go out five or six nights a week and blame God. All right, hear me on that. All right. It just means our allegiance to Christ becomes first and foremost. And there will be a hundred choices you must take in life. And there's no simple biblical command to settle the issue. The issue will be, do you want Christ above all? And do you want to follow him? And are you willing to go the path? Are you willing to take up your cross? And the third one and the final one uh, in this story is probably the most dangerous of all. I call him the fence sitter. And he's a guy who, I call it fickle following, all right? Now, you, it's indecisive discipleship. You can't plow a straight furrow while you're looking back. And you can't serve Christ or make him look, big, look, make him look great or big if you're always second-guessing the value of following him. Let me say that again. You can't make Christ look great if you are in the business of always second-guessing the value. Should I really have done this? Would I have been better doing that? Is this really worth it? Looking back means longing back. And it means that we're not really sure if Jesus is worth following, especially to Jerusalem, especially to the city. Isn't it interesting when he got to the city, every single person deserted him? Isn't it interesting his 12 followers, one of whom said, though they all leave you, I'll never leave you. Isn't it interesting that they just didn't realize the path that when he got to the city, every single one of them left. Every single one of them. Big, it's a big path to take. It's a big decision to make. And so it's interesting, divided hearts like that are, are not displaying the worth of Christ. And so to this boy, he says, can't, can't take up the plow and look back, not fit for the kingdom of God. And I want to close out this morning by saying this. He is worth it. He is worth it. You need to hear this. He is worth it, all right? Following Him will always mean more than one thing. And if it means for you the place of suffering and loneliness, He'll be there. But He says, follow me. And when He says, follow me, it means there's a path, and there is a person, and there's suffering, and there's sweetness, and there's a Jerusalem, and there's a Jesus. 
And all you got to do is just follow him. We used to sing it. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing this morning. We used to sing it. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. Anybody else ever sing that? Sunday school? No, I'm giving away my age. <laughs> my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Sarah's going to come and sing a song. I'm going to tell you a story while, we, while she, she does that. Um, I have five kids, as you know, and um, well, many of you do. Some of you probably don't, and I have five kids. And two of my kids are, are like me to look at, I think. All right, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, somebody said to me this week, said to me, my daughter Amy, who is married with four kids, somebody said to me, oh, Phil, your Amy gets more like you every day. And it's kind of true, actually. It is kind of true. And um, the, actually, the, and, and people say about Daniel, say, Daniel, as he gets older, um, he gets more and more like you. Interesting little concept, isn't it? And I think of Amy because she's much older. I think that's so true. And I remember Amy when she was a little girl. I remember thinking, you know why sometimes you can't actually see your kids like you and everybody else does? Amy, I could see like me. I could see her like me in nature. I could see... I could see her like me sometimes in her eyes and things like that. And as she got older, I used to think, the poor child, she'd grow out of it, you know. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but she didn't. She actually, the older, the older she got, the more like me she got. And actually, there's a really powerful biblical principle in that. Because this is under the new covenant. You see, the older we get in our faith the more we actually should become like the Father. <laughs> and so my question to you as we close this out is, have you closed your eyes in the passenger seat and allowed him just to steer without you directing him? You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 5, lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It's good advice, that. And the second thing I'm asking, are you becoming more like your dad? Could people say as they look at you, you know, you're just becoming more like Jesus because that's what the new covenant does. Remember, in the, we looked at this in the unveiled faces in the old covenant, it was diminishing. So Moses' glow just got less and less till he was able to take the veil off and it was gone. He says, no, 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 not with the new covenant. It's ever increasing. It just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And we get more and more like our father. And people should be coming and saying, you know what? You're getting more like your dad every day. That's the new covenant. That's the glory of God. And that's understanding the path. Will it be difficult? Yeah, probably. Will there be suffering? Yeah, I'm sure there will. Will there be good days? Oh, there'll be great days. Will there be bad days? Yeah, there will. You see, that, that, that I, have a, I have a friend. Please forgive me for this. You'll probably stone me for that. But I have, a friend who had a, I, I have a friend who had a really bad tongue before he got saved, and he cursed something shocking. And he, he said to me one day, this, this is true, Bill. He said to me one day, he said, Phil, you know what? Before I was saved, I had such a filthy bad tongue. And he says, since I met Jesus and, and, and asked him in my life, he said, I don't curse nearly as much. Now, he was serious, but it sort of sums it up, doesn't it? We're all on a journey, aren't we? 
There's none of us perfect. There's none of us made it yet. Paul even said, I don't count myself to have one who's apprehended. But he says, this one thing I do, I press forward towards the goal of the high calling. So hey, let's become more like that. It's, time's gone. We're going to sing this song. I love this song that Sarah's going to lead us in. It's this, this, this little verse that says, your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. Isn't that amazing? It talks about there is strength within the sorrow and beauty in our tears. And so there's something about this. And as we sing this, I'd love to you to sing this as a declaration of prayer that God has not forgotten you, that wherever you are, he knows your idols. And, and just as he challenged the three boys in this, this, this little passage about fence sitting, about their home, about their family, he challenges us about where our hearts are aligning with him. And my job this morning is just to ask you to realign your heart, just become more like him, just, just realign and understand that there's a path and there's a cost in doing this. And then I'll come back and we'll pray. But let's look at the words as you sing these words. All right, let's not just sing them as a melody, which is a beautiful song, but look at the words and really think of them as a prayer. Our prayer ministry team is down at the back. And even during the worship, if you felt the pull of God, sometimes as people standing and all of that, it might be easier just to slip down there. And if you feel God's challenging you this morning, I'd love you to nip down there. They've got lanyards on. They're down behind the boards and just say, look, would you pray for me? I need to realign my heart or, or whatever else it might be, whatever issue it might be that, that you're saying, just, but would you do that? And even afterwards, they'll be only too happy to pray for you. Let's worship and then we'll pray. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.